welcome to the Epidemic Belfast podcast. I'm Dr Tom Thorpe, a researcher on the project and a public historian. Epidemic Belfast is a public history and medical humanities learning resource from Ulster University. It aims to map the changing experience of infection and disease for individuals and communities in the unique urban environment of Belfast from the 19th century to the present day. In this episode of the podcast, I talked to Queen's University Belfast doctoral student, Rianne Morgan, about her research into the creation, use and health impact of the Temple Wall public baths in East Belfast. Rianne, welcome to the podcast. Could you start by telling us about yourself and how you became interested in researching the Temple Wall baths? Yeah, um, of course. So yeah, like you said, my name is Rianne Morgan and I'm a final year history PhD student at Queen's. So as you can probably tell by my accent, I'm originally from the South Wales Valleys. So I completed my undergraduate in history at Plymouth University before coming over to Belfast for my master's and my PhD. Uh, so my master's dissertation was on the collective memory of the 1984-5 miners' strike in Aberdeen, my hometown. And for that research, it was based on interviews I conducted with ex-miners and their wives from my local area. So whilst I was in the process of finishing my master's, um, Northern Bridge advertised a PhD looking at the history of the Temple Bar Baths. Um, so I'm interested in more modern history, especially post-war uh, in the UK and Ireland. Um, so I decided to focus on how people experienced the Temple Baths differently, dependent on gender, age, class and community, and then how these different factors affected their view of the current regeneration project. Um, so I applied basically similar methods from my master's to my PhD. Um, so I conducted 25 oral history interviews with people from the surrounding area, um, which includes like the Newtonards Road and Short Strand. And then I also conducted archival research in Prony and then examined a lot of newspaper articles. <laughs> so essentially, yeah, I thought it'd be interesting to apply similar themes from my master's, such as memory, class, gender, oral history and heritage, but in a new context of the temple baths so that's how it all came about. Now on the subject of the baths where exactly are they located? Um, so the baths are located on Templemore Avenue which is in East Belfast. Um, so the first public washing facilities built by Belfast Corporation was at Peters Hill in 1879 and then after that, then baths and wash houses were opened on Omar Avenue in 1889, Templemore in 1893, and then the Falls Road in 1896. So there was kind of four public baths to cover each district of the city. Um, but the ones I mainly focus on is Templemore Avenue. And then I kind of looked the Omar baths a little bit because some of my interviewees used that one as well because it was the closest. So why were the baths built and what was the aim behind their construction? So the baths were originally built as part of the drive by middle-class philanthropists and municipal authorities to cleanse the poor. Um, so poor sanitary conditions and overcrowding were common problems within industrial cities. Um, the Chadwick Report of 1842 showed the impact poor living and sanitary conditions were having upon city dwellers across the UK. Um, so these included high rates of ill health, mortality and low life expectancy. Um, so essentially this report directly linked poor sanitation to epidemic diseases such as cholera and typhus. So Chadwick's report coupled with 
like seeing poverty and the smells of poverty on the urban environment led to support for public reform. Um, in Belfast specifically, 10 years later, a, stud a similar study was published by local doctor Andrew Malcolm, and he essentially stressed the link between poor sanitation in Belfast and the recurrent outbreaks of diseases, again, um, such as cholera and typhus. So even in years without epidemics, other diseases associated with poverty and overcrowding give Belfast the highest death rate in Ireland. Um, obviously, Belfast was the most industrialised city on the island of Ireland, so that kind of explains it as well. Um, but alongside the public health aspect, there was also the importance of personal hygiene, which was very much linked to morality, respectability, and having a more productive workforce. Basically, the more um, respectable and clean workers were, the more productive they would be, the more comfortable they were. Um, around this time, there was also a growing sense of civic consciousness and pride in the city. So the construction of public baths kind of symbolised progress. Um, and local authorities also sought to provide other recreations, such as libraries, museums and parks, to be seen as like the most progressive city. Um, Lastly, I think public baths also helped to protect the middle class ratepayers, like from the inherent dangers of the city. Um, there was a bit of a fear of disease being spread from the working classes to the middle class neighbours. If you kind of look around Templemore Avenue, even today, the houses are still very nice. Um, so I think there was a little bit of um, concern about the mix between middle and working classes that it might spread across. Um, but the main purpose of the space during the Victorian period was its role in public health. So by cleansing the poor and potentially bettering their health in an affordable and immediate way as well, um, it was quite a, it was, it was an easy thing for them to do, build up the baths and then it had like an immediate effect. Um, but the baths purpose did change over time, but I'll talk about that a little bit later on. So what facilities were in the baths when they were first built and what sort of things could I have expected if I went to the baths, grubby and dirty after a hard day's work? <laughs> so the building contained um, 34 individual baths, two swimming pools and a wash house. Uh, so the bathing areas and swimming pools were separated by gender and economic status. Uh, so there are 27 baths provided for men in the area, nine first class and 18 second class. And then for local women, there were seven baths in total, three first class and four second class. Um, in terms of swimming, again, only more affluent men were allowed to use the first class pool. The second class pool was open to both men and women, but there was no mixed swimming between the both at all. And um, they had very specific pool times allocated to them. So in fact, mixed swimming uh, wasn't permanently implemented in Belfast public baths until 1962. So up until this point, women and girls were assigned certain hours within their two lady days a week to swim. Um, so it would depend on your economic status and your gender. Um, so men, um, you would have paid to get in. So it would have obviously been a little bit more for the upper classes, um, for the upper class baths. And then when you'd go through, if you paid for the upper class bath, you'd be given like extras, like a towel, nice soap, stuff like that, and more hot water because somebody would come along and do the water for you while you were in your individual cubicle. And then for the second class bath, you wouldn't have got as much luxury, um, but you still would have had a hot bath um, and been clean. And with the swimming pool, I did have a look to see what the difference between the upper and second class bath was. So there was different water 
which I found really interesting. So I'm not really sure what difference this water made, but um, apparently there was different water put in the pools. Um, but yeah, so it just would have depended and you would have had a certain time slot um, where you would have been expected to be in and out. So some an attendant would have come around to tell you your time was up type thing and then you'd have to go out. But yeah, the building was separated. So when you walked through, there was a way to the men's bathing facilities and a way to the women's. So there wouldn't be any mixing of the sexes within the space. So you touched on it already, but who used the bath and why? So um, who used them and why changed over time? So I'll just give you like a brief timeline because it kind of shifted over the over the hundred years they were originally built. So initially, like I said, the baths were aimed at working class men who lived within the area. Um, and this is reflecting the design of the building. As you probably noticed, there were 20 more baths provided for men than women. Uh, also newspapers during the 1880s and 1890s highlighted the importance of public baths being built within this area because of the amount of industry and subsequently the working class people who resided there. Um, it is important to note that the baths were aimed at skilled workers, as unskilled workers at the time would have struggled to afford the entrance fee. It was just the skilled workers had more money in their pocket to use for different activities. Um, but the shipyard in particular had a very high skilled worker force. Um, so it was aimed at them quite a lot, but also other upper working class people within the area um, who worked in different industries because there was a lot going on um, in East Belfast at the time, not just the shipyard, the tobacco works, the rope works. So there was loads of different ones. Um, so during the Victorian period, they were mainly aimed and used by male skilled labourers who resided within the area. And then between 1901 and 1914, the purpose started to shift a little bit to reflect fears over the degeneration of society, um, which basically was intensified by the high proportion of men, around 40%, who were classified as medically unfit for service during the Boer War in 1899. So the meaning of health was starting to change to encompass more than just the prevention of disease. So social legislation across both Britain and Ireland during this period made health and physical education in children one of its primary goals. So you've had different acts passed um, which established free school meals and medical inspections of children on a one-to-one -one basis. So essentially the government wanted to ensure that the younger generations would be physically stronger and well disciplined as they were seen as being the future of the nation. So as part of that, physical education was added to the curriculum of state elementary schools in the early 1900s. So it was part of a push to secure the health of working class school children. So um, in 1904, the Tetmo Baths introduced a scheme which aimed to encourage children to use the baths during their school hours. Um, so the, the importance placed on cleanliness and hygiene from the Victor Victorian era was still present during this period, but there was a particular emphasis on children so physical exercise and swimming in particular were beginning to be viewed as crucial to the improvement of children's health. Um, but again, it's important to note that during the Edwardian period, children's swimming was gendered. Um, so girls weren't offered the same opportunities as boys. Um, they weren't allowed to visit the baths more than once a week and they had no option of free swimming. So you can see it started to shift a little bit towards the swimming pool side of things during the Edwardian period and school children, especially boys, became important consumers of the space. 
And then between 1914 and 1939, debates over fit and a healthy nation persisted. Um, so the First World War, again, similarly raised fears over men's fitness levels because they'd been high army rejection rates. Um, so the focus upon creating a physically fitter and healthier generation, which had started in the Edwardian period, carried on throughout the interwar years. This time, however, applied to both boys and girls. So one of the issues which had previously held girls back from participating in swimming was women's bathing costumes. Um, so this changed from the turn of the century, with women's swimming costumes becoming less bulky and more fit for purpose. Um, because before that, if you look at some of the images, yeah, there's no way you could you could be expected to try and swim in that. It would have been a struggle. Um, so as a result of this, swimming galas became popular and were held at the Tetmore Bars throughout the 1920s and 1930s. There's a really interesting newspaper article, actually, where a woman talks about um, girls changing their swimming costumes to be similar to the guys' swimming costumes. And they were called like hussies for her, but how they had made it acceptable for women to wear these swimming costumes. And that's how it become so popular for girls and women to swim because they could actually swim now and they weren't restricted by really bulky swimming costumes, which will weighed you down. And obviously you would have taken the fun out of swimming if you could even swim a length, I would be amazed, you know. Um, so although the government was initially concerned with the fitness of children and youth, this also started a change from the 1930s. So there was a national fitness campaign, which was launched to encourage the improved health of every citizen. So this included the adult population as well. So in June 1930, the Tetmore baths were extended. So um, the pools were extended a distance of nine feet and there was improvements made, um, including a spectator's gallery to seat 200 people, dressing rooms and a boardroom. So the extension of the baths made Templemore Avenue the only competition regulation length pool in Ireland, which explains the preeminence in competition swimming. Uh, so in order to celebrate the pool being reopened, they held a swimming gala um, which was done by the East End Swimming Club on the 21st of June 1930. So included in this programme was a display by Hilda James and she was basically a famous British swimmer who held the British and American record and competed at the 1920 Summer Olympics where she won a silver medal in the women's four-time 100 metre freestyle relay. Um, so the emphasis on swimming alongside the fitness push of the 1930s may have also been a way to try and combat mass leisure activities. So if you think about it in the 1930s, uh, the cinemas became really popular and there was a lot of concern by middle class philanthropists and uh, the government over like the scepticism over the cinema and about moral panic at the time. So swimming was seen as like a good alternative for young people and for older people, you know, it was seen as like a respectable leisure activity to take part in. So yeah, the Temple Bar is in space because um, citizens could improve their health and fitness and also spend their leisure time there. Um, but during, yeah, the 1930s onwards, there was more of a concentrated effort to promote the health of girls and women, which led to the rise in the usage of the baths. Um, so it was more about every citizen of the nation was encouraged to take part in improving their health and fitness and having respectable leisure. For my thesis, I focus on the post-war era and in particular the 1950s through to the 1980s. Um, what I've noticed in starting this project is if I mention the Temple Mobas and I'm talking to someone from East Belfast, they either say they or their family used to visit it, especially during their childhood or teenage years. So it's really funny because as soon as I say about my project, they're like, I know that. Um, so all the people I interviewed from Short Strand and Inner East visited the Bass for Swimming lessons with their local school. 
and then some would also go as children on the weekend uh, for leisure. Um, essentially, the baths were seen as a bit of a playground, so there wasn't really much uh, playgrounds and stuff in the area, so children would have created their own play spaces, and the baths was definitely seen as one of them. <laughs> um, so I've heard a couple of good and funny stories, um, especially about boys getting into mischief, shall we say, um, and then as people got older, um, into their teenage years, they would have used it for the bathing facilities. So a Friday night would have been prime time. Uh, they would have come from work. They would have gone and had a wash to get ready to go out to the pub and the dance hall or the cinema. Um, because some of the houses within the area didn't get bathrooms installed until the 1970s, 1980s. Um, so it was still being used for cleanliness as well as the swimming side. Um, so to go, go back to your question of who used them and why, um, as you can see, the Tetmo Bars had a lot of functions <laughs> and were used at different points in time by different people and for different purposes. But it would have always been used by working class people who lived within the surrounding area. Um, it would have also been used by both communities up until the 1980s when the conflict made it too difficult for primary schools from Short Strand to keep using Temple Mall. Um, and now you've kind of got the um, Peace Wall across Madridge Street. So short strand are more cut off from using the baths. Um, but hopefully with the new project and regeneration, we'll be able to start opening that up a bit more. So that's why I interviewed people from both community because they both used it up until it got a bit too, um, the conflict made it too difficult basically. So yeah, that was a very long winded <laughs> answer of the different functions of the Tetmo baths. <laughs> so from your research, have you found that the baths had a sort of a personal impact on the health of those who used them? Yeah, I think in terms of personal health, um, it had different impacts depending upon depending upon whether someone was visiting for bathing or swimming, leisure or competing, what age they were and when they were visiting. So the swimming side of things helped to increase the physical fitness of those within the area. And Temple Moor's a reputation for having excellent swimming clubs and instructors. In particular, um, the Curry Brothers were mentioned a lot. Um, and it's also where a lot of people within the area learn to swim, or in some cases, not swim. Um, a couple of people I spoke to kind of said they were chucked in the deep end and that kind of put them off, and they were like, okay, swimming's not for me. <laughs> so not always a positive effect. Um, they were also popular with the elderly and disabled people due to the privacy provided by the unique individual changing cubicles that run along the side of the pool. So obviously that would have made it easier. Um, and the bathing side of the establishment, I think, helped to stop the spread of diseases linked to poverty. And like they were still important through to the post-war era. But I also think they had a good impact on people's mental health as it was a place where as children they could go and play and you know their parents didn't have to worry about them because there was other adults there kind of watching them with the swimming attendants and then as they got older um, it was some way for them to like escape and clean themselves as adults so one of the women one of the women I interviewed uh said about her early um her like late teens early adulthood where she um was married and she used to go to the baths um to clean herself and to kind of you know get away from the hustle and bustle of family life and just have somewhere where it was like full privacy on her own you know so I think yeah it had an impact on um you know the, the physical fitness but also their mental well-being as well and I think it was a place where it was like a safe space for like, you know, children and stuff to go and be able to play and um, escape. So I think, yeah, they had different 
different impacts on their personal health. Have you been able to assess whether the bars had a wider public health impact? So I'm not sure the direct link between people using the bars and the, the statistical data on diseases related to poverty, but they were definitely effective in cleaning local people and being used for exercise, especially for working class people. So like the middle classes within the area would have had bathrooms in their homes. So one of the women I interviewed uh, used to use the bars during the 1950s, explained that one of her friends from church was well off. I would never have visited the bars as they would have been seen as for working class people only. So there was kind of this, this is a weird thing where within working class communities, you know, it would be something you would be proud of to go to the bars. You'd be seen as respectable, you know, moving up the social ladder. But then for middle class people looking in, they saw it as a very working class thing to use the public bars and they would never have done it. Um, but so working class people in the area really needed these public baths as before bathrooms were installed, they were using a tin bath, um, which they would have heated up with hot water from off the stove. Um, and then they would have taken it in turns to have, to use the tin bath. So by the time you got to like the fourth or fifth family member, I doubt it was a very pleasant experience. Also, if you, as you're getting older, you know, I think when you're a child, maybe sometimes you'd be chucked in the sink when you're a baby and stuff to be cleaned. Um, but I think as you get older, especially with like guys who were getting bigger, the teenagers didn't really want to be sitting in a tin bath in your living room. Um, so I think it was uh, important for that and obviously the effects of being able, being able to clean themselves and getting rid of the dirt and stuff um, is important. I think it's obviously something we take for granted now, something I never really thought about until I'd done this project. And then you realise people were still using the public baths until the 1970s, 1980s. Some of them as well said that even if, even though they had bathrooms, they would still go um, and use the bathing facilities. Uh, for women, it was like for friendship, you would go together, something to do. And for guys, like they didn't want to traipse through their house covered in dust and dirt because their wife would have shouted at them. So they would have gone to the baths as a way to, <laughs> as a way to get clean before coming home. Um, but the swimming side of things, I think, were also important to public health um, because it was important in teaching uh, people how to learn to swim, which obviously is an essential life skill, especially as there was different reports and kind of panic from the 1900s about people drowning in the River Lagan. Um, so I think from a public health impact, it did probably did have um, quite a, a positive impact, I would say. Um, but I'm not sure of the exact link between the statistics, but yeah, I would say it had a positive impact on it. And my penultimate question is, I understand the bars are currently being uh, restored to their former glory. Can you tell me all about that project? Yeah, so in September of 2016, um, the Templemore Users Trust and Belfast City Council was successful in their combined bid, bid for heritage lottery funding um, to regenerate the bars. So the group secured a five million grant from the HLF towards the 17 million pound project um, and it'll restore the existing building and extend it to provide new facilities. So the restoration of the bars is part of a wider investment scheme whereby the council is spending a total of 45 million on leisure facilities in East Belfast. Um, so the improvement of the leisure side um, includes a new 25 metre pool and state-of-the-art gym. Alongside this is also a heritage preservation initiative. So the council are aiming to include learning and engagement information centering on the history of the baths and the surrounding area. Um, they're also going to be restoring some of the original features, such as the existing swimming pool and caretaker's house. Um, and the baths will be split into seven zones. 
and a program events and activities, including tours, oral history workshops and volunteer opportunities. So it's aimed to engage visitors and highlight the unique heritage of the complex. And this is going to be achieved by focusing on three themes throughout the exhibition, which are generations of swimmers, architectural features of the Bast, including conservation and restoration of the building, and the location of the Bast on Tabermore Avenue, because there is a lot of history around that area. Um, opposite, you've got the old Tabermore Avenue School, and next door would have been the Mother and Baby Hospital. Um, so there's a so there's a lot of different things with on Tabermore Avenue. Um, so they're trying to link it out to the wider area again. So that's kind of a brief overview of what's going to be included. Which leads to my final question is where can people find out more about your research and the Temple Moor Baths restoration? So if people want to keep up to date with the regeneration project, uh, then the Temple Moor Baths Facebook page is probably best. I have no doubt when the Baths have a reopening date set, they'll be published on social media pages, linked to the Baths and East Belfast more generally, um, such as East Belfast Partnership, and it'll be in local newspapers too. Um, at the moment, the Belfast City Council website says the work is due to be completed by autumn 2022. If people can't wait until then and want to learn more about the Temple Baths, then they can come and see the pop-up exhibition I'm currently finalising. Uh, so the exhibition will hopefully be unveiled in the East Belfast Network Centre, which is the old Temple Avenue School, in September. Um, and after that, I'll be touring around the city, including the Eastside Visitor Centre and Short Strand Community Centre. Um, so I'll be posting that on different social media pages on my own on Twitter, but also I'll be sending it out to all the local community groups for them to publish. Um, so yes, I'm hoping to have it up and running by September. Um, and basically it's just going to be a little pop-up exhibition with six banners um, with information from my oral history interviews. So it's like a little taster um, and just a way to say thank you to people I interviewed and the local communities for being so um, welcoming to me and allowing and speaking to me and telling me all their wonderful memories. Um, so that will be some point in September, hopefully, but I will keep it posted on different social media platforms. Um, and then, yeah, my research, you know, if they go onto uh, the Queen's History website um, and type in Rhea Morgan, I'll come up, or I'm on Twitter and Facebook and stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> Rianne, thank you very much for your time. That's okay, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Epidemic Belfast. For more information and to read articles related to today's episode, as well as other ones in the series, you can visit our website www.epidemic-belfast.com.